Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He's explaining what is going to happen now that he's here and how life is going to change and how the world is going to be reordered because the Messiah has arrived. The 12 were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Cusa, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their own resources. When a great crowd gathered, people from town after town came to him, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some fell on good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. And as he said this, he called out, Let everyone with ears to hear listen. Now often when the people of faith gather together, and an individual reads scripture, that reader will say, the word of the Lord. And then everybody who hears it will say, thanks be to God, right? And we do that. The church makes a claim. It's an affirmation. We are hearing from God. As if to say, make no mistake. We just heard God's word together. We didn't hear someone's well-crafted opinion brilliant suggestions or profound ideological theory. No, we heard the words of God Almighty. Friends, you and I are part of God's good and beautiful creation. We all have the capacity, and we've been created with the capacity to, to hear God's voice. And the ultimate way we hear God's voice is in and through the Word who has come to us in Jesus. First chapter of John reminds us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? In Jesus, God has spoken to us individually, what He desires for us. And through Jesus, He speaks to us as a community of faith, what He desires and wants to happen between us as a community of faith as friends and neighbors, colleagues in ministry. And in the words of Jesus, they come to us and remind us what he desires to happen in and through us in the world, in the community. In many ways, that's what this parable is about. Hearing God's word and responding to God's word. Jesus says, listen, Listen up, this is important. Why parables, Jesus? That's often the question of his closest friends. Why, why are you teaching these things in parables? Why don't you just tell us what the kingdom of God is like? Why do you got to spin a tail? As one Christian writer suggests, 
Frederick Buechner. He points out that a parable is a small story with a large point. And these small stories with a large point are faith applications, and they become concrete so we can apply them into our lives, and it becomes this living, the building blocks for a living and active faith. Take forgiveness. True forgiveness is impossible to explain. There's a few words, no matter how polished the communicator is. Why? Because a strict definition of forgiveness closes down the imagination. On the other hand, a story, a parable will open up new possibilities, new ways of thinking about forgiveness, new ways of applying forgiveness in and through our lives, new ways of being and acting. So Jesus' parables are these wonderful poetic stories pointing to spiritual concepts that are close to impossible to comprehend. Take the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God now, present, and in the future? Hard to comprehend fully, so Jesus tells stories far too, these concepts are far too difficult to be stuffed into a container and then with a simple definition. Likewise, Jesus told stories with the intention that we would enter into these stories, that they would become part of our lives, that we could find ourselves in these stories. Something obvious and yet unexpected that leads to this portal of God's grace so that we can experience God's grace and God's grace can penetrate into our souls. And so today Jesus is spinning a tale, an earthly tale about how faith takes root. And this parable I want to look at, explore from two sides. The sides of the seeds and then the other side from the sower. Most often the parable is explained by referring to types of individuals who are open and who are not open to faith, to receiving the good news of God's kingdom. So there are four choices, right? The seeds of faith, first seed hits hard on the pavement and hard-heartedness and it bounces off like a rubber ball, right, in the playground, the rocky terrain, unable to hold moisture. The good news lacks irrigation, and it wilts. The heart is so riddled with weeds, faith can't flourish, it just is overrun. And you look at it, you go, it's indistinguishable. Is there faith in there? It just seems like it's just a bunch of weeds. Or the good soil, where everything is right as rain, right? This week I was reading about another idea a Christian writer suggests that one way to to imagine this parable. He suggests that maybe it refers to parts of ourselves that are open and not open. Maybe imagine your life as a field. A whole, your whole cells as a field. Consider what parts of your life are flourishing and what parts of your life are desolate, lacking moisture. What parts are rocky? What parts are being choked with weeds? For example, where in your life is the good soil? Open to God's love and grace where you can freely share faith with others and your faith is being nurtured. Maybe it's here at church. Man, my faith is really flourishing at church when I'm with other Christians and gathered together and I go on the patio and I drink coffee and I can express my faith and 
I can be nurtured in my faith. That's, that's the good soil right there. Maybe it's your, your life group. You meet together with a group of friends. I have a life group that I've been meeting with. It's a group of pastors. and We've been meeting together for the last 20-something years. Our preacher a couple Sundays ago was a part of my preacher's life group, Tom Kramer. And we're still friends. For me, that's where faith can really flourish because I gather together with those guys and we pray together and we express our faith. We, we share the, the struggles and the burdens that we have, the anxieties, the worries, all these things. And that is where faith is. It's good soil. That's what's happening. I can be compassionate there. I can be forgiving there. And then I get on the road home and I start driving. Maybe... It's easy there, but then you get out in the world and other situations, maybe at work, maybe when you're upset, maybe somebody has done you wrong in a way and you're angry or whatever, and that's not the good soil, is it? Part of your life is choked with weeds. Perhaps you desire to follow God, but you have this unhealthy obsession with something or someone, and that just grows up and chokes out, chokes faith. The fruitful growth that God desires for you. Those areas of your life. Friends, these stories confront the deep parts of our faith and our life, the places where we have resistance to God's love and grace. They're not always reached with a simple Instructions of do this and don't do that. We need these stories to help our imagination see the world differently, see ourselves differently, see how faith grows so we can turn and recognize and how to grow in our faith. Where we're having a difficult time growing in our faith because of anxieties or worries or, or woundedness that we carry. Or failures or anxieties and fears. There's another way to look at this story from the perspective of the sower. I have seen this parable titled many different ways. Maybe in your own personal Bible it says the parable of the sower. That's a good one. I've seen the harvest story. I like that too. Scattered seeds. My favorite though is titled the foolish farmer. The reason I like that is because that's how I imagine people when they first heard this story, when Jesus is telling them out in this open field and they've gathered together and Jesus starts spinning this tale about a farmer who just is tossing seed every which way. I can imagine them saying, what's going on here? It's kind of like, you know, those, those spreaders that you have at your own house and you, you just are, you spin it and it just, everything goes everywhere and then you go, whoops, the grass is over there and now everything's on the pavement and then you wash it off, right? This is what Jesus is saying. He's just the farmer's scattering seed every which way, all over the place, into the wind. What's going on? You can imagine people that hear this, they're just going, that is not how it's done. Obviously, this guy is a, hanging out with fishermen. He has no idea how to farm. Distributing grace without concern is what God, this, this parable talks about God's generosity though, right? How God freely shares his grace, distributing grace without concern where it lands, something is bound to happen by grace. Seeds of faith are scattered. And this foolish farmer maintains this audacious hope. 
that faith will take root. Faith will take root. Even as others may just have already written it off. I think this parable is a story of the reality of Jesus' followers. Those who are following him. Those unlikely people may have been written off. Those lost causes. The hard ground filled with rocks and weeds. Why bother? Why waste seeds on faith on them? They're beyond forgiveness, beyond grace, beyond hope. Remember how Luke lists those who were following? Let's just go back to that. The 12 were with him. Well, we know a lot about these guys, right? Fishermen, tax collectors. In the end, cowards all the way to the bitter end, right? Every last one of them who would desert and deny Jesus with shallow faith that withered and dried up under the pressure of Jesus last week in Jerusalem. There's another group that Luke tells us about. Some women who have been cured of evil spirits and infirmities, those whose lives have been trampled on, picked at, tossed under the pavement, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come. Talk about someone with weeds growing up into their lives. What about Joanna? She's a member of Herod's household. Remember Herod. He's the bad guy, right? Her husband's the head of steward. Talk about a power couple coming in and helping out. Important and influential. And Susanna. We don't know anything about Susanna. I just like that name. I have a niece named Susanna. It's beautiful. Unlikely band of followers. To look at them, you might want to think, well, those seeds of faith, there's no way they're going to land and take root in these people. But it did. And it did. It's a story of God's grace in these people's lives. God's grace can penetrate the hardest heart, the rocky soul, cut through the densest weeds, develop into rooted faith. I love the way thinking about this parable because it reminds the church that no one is beyond God's grace. The church, you and I, are called to always hold out hope of the seeds of faith to take root in somebody's life. Watered with God's grace. Take root in any and every way imaginable. Do you know any Joannas? Do you know any Levi's, any Mary Magdalene's, any lost causes in your life? Maybe you feel like one of those right now. Doubtful, desperate for seeds of faith to take root in certain areas of your life and your heart. Maybe it's time to take the first step, dear friends. Let God's grace wash over you. <laughs> Let the living water irrigate your soul. The wellspring of mercy that never ceases. Let God's love till the soil of your heart, allowing the seeds of faith to take root, to flourish. Don't give up. God hasn't given up on you. You know, to the bitter end, Jesus never gave up on his followers. 